0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Mom of the Hard Kid. Today, we're going to be talking about advocating for your child and what that looks like. Some of you who have come here are probably the parents of a child who is hard or has high needs, but some of you might also be somebody who is a relative or a special person to that person who is caring for someone with high needs or to the person who has high needs. But when you enter into this realm, you enter in with different levels of needs for your child and you're entering into an arena where you are dealing with people who have dealt with multiple types of parents. So sometimes your child is going to need a lot of services. Sometimes your child is going to be okay with a few services. And because there are a few parents out there who have really just advocated the crap out of everything for a child who didn't maybe need quite as much. um, They are going to make you look bad just from the get go. (laughs) So I say this to you, also being upset that people think I am that type of parent. So I want to just point out just how critical it is for you to be aware that they're not going to understand you. Because other people have abused the system. And so here are some of the things that have been really helpful in our case, when it comes to advocating for our child. So the first thing that I recommend for anybody who wants to advocate for their child is to learn everything they can about your child's issue. I want you to read all of the books. I want you to go and Google about what are the best books in your area. And if there are not a lot of books in your area, I want you to look up scholarly articles. I want you to know as much and more as the people around you. Now, you have to do this with a humble heart. You cannot just steamroll people because they will not appreciate that kind of approach. But you need to be educated. I remember when I went into my daughter's evaluation at school and the psychiatrist or psychologist, the psychologist of the school didn't believe me. She was so rude and she didn't believe me. And I kept trying to be like, I must be, you know, I must be wrong. She must know because she has an education. But one of my friends said you shouldn't be the smartest person in the room about this. They should know something. But the fact is a lot of these people don't. I I will be absolutely critical of the quality of education these people are getting because it has never come up as a benefit up until this point. I actually have one lady that has been really good. So I will throw her in here. But um, a lot of people just have no clue. And so you're not going to want to rely on what your these people know, you're gonna want to know it yourself. So learning everything you can about your child's issue. In our case, it's reactive attachment disorder, it's anxiety, it's PTSD, it is ADHD, learning everything I can. So not only do I want to know. And me being the person that I am I want to know more than everyone <laughs> but I also want to be able to keep up with what they're talking about when they are making references to things I want to know what they're talking about and I can in in my knowledge then say you know what that doesn't actually work for us or you know what that actually um I know what you're saying about that but this is actually how it shows up better in our situation and just just knowing everything you can. It is worth the investment to buy a few books. It is worth the investment to read. I mean, you don't even invest in the scholarly articles almost ever. You can get a lot of those for free, and a lot of those you're not going to find in your books. So I totally recommend going that route. I also recommend going the route of, and I say this with caution, like support groups. Not because they are as supportive as you were going to hope that they'll be, but because you'll get a lot of information. You'll glean a lot of information about what this looks like from other people so that you can compare and contrast that to yourself. So when the therapist is like, oh, I'm sorry, this doesn't show up like this. You can say, oh, I bet you think it shows up like this. Well, in our case, it shows up like that, which you can also notice happens in other people in the group. It's always really nice when someone in the group is like, Oh, here is the exact situation happening with us has happened with you. Like it's the best when you can realize that you're a little bit validated in the experiences that you've been having with your child. So the second thing that I recommend when it comes to advocating for your child is learning how your child reacts to things. I want you to know your child better than any of these people know your child. And while that sounds, you know, kind of basic, if your child is in daycare or has a nanny or has another caregiver of some kind, there's sometimes a chance that you don't know your child as well as some of these caregivers. If you don't know your child as well, you can ask the caregivers, you know, what are some of the things that trip my child's trigger? What are some of the things that I need to watch out for. But you, if you're going to advocate for your child, you need to know the weak points of your child. And if you want to get that information from the child's nanny or from the daycare center or from um, a teacher or anything like that, don't hesitate to get that information from them. Don't, don't, you know, beat yourself up and be like, I should know this. You should know it. So ask them and, and then you'll know it. Um, But when you know how your child is going to react to things, you're able to go into these meetings with the 504 or the um, IEP meetings and you're able to say, I see what you want to do with this, but that's not going to work for my child because my child is more driven by A, B, C, D, E, F, G. So if we could tune it that way, that would be a better thing. So I'm speaking mostly of school, but this also would work, you know, even if you're at the park. If you're at the park and you see a situation starting that is really difficult for your child, you'll be able to go in and redirect that situation because you know that's a trigger for your child. You know it's going to be difficult. One of the things that we have that I absolutely hate is food coloring. I cannot give my youngest child food coloring. She turns into a monster for at least 48 hours. It is not worth it to me to deal with a monster for 48 hours so that I can appease somebody else on whether or not they are giving their treat and how and how validated they feel by giving their treat. You know, but if you're aware of these things, and if you keep track of these things, and even when you're talking to the teacher or to the mom who wants to give your child food coloring or or whatever the situation may be, you can say, you know what? I wish it was. I wish it could operate that way. It it doesn't for us. Unfortunately, we're one of those people that they tell all the stories about it. It's us. If you give my child uh, colors, she'll do A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Like, and and it's not worth it to me. And And even though there are some people who are not going to understand, I think you're going to find that most people understand. And most people are like, oh, okay, you know, because you know, you know, you're not just saying it for no reason, you're saying it for a reason. And it, it kind of also, you know, just to just to sort of say this, it does suck that you have to defend your actions to everyday people that have no clue. Um, We should be able to just say, I don't want to give my kid food coloring because I don't want to. And that should be fine. But unfortunately, that isn't what you come across most of the time. Anytime you sort of adjust from the normal narrative, everybody gets a little, I I guess, off put, I guess is is put off a little bit annoyed by the way that you're approaching things. You know what, you got to let that be okay, because you're going to encounter that your life is hard enough. You can't spend the extra brain space worrying about whether Miss Sally is concerned about whether or not you give food coloring to your child you just have to say no I'm sorry this is what we're going to do because if if we don't this is what happens and and and, you know sometimes I'm like if (laughs) when someone who knows this is like can I give your child this I'm like only if you want to watch them for the next 48 hours like you know you can you can be funny but but do know how your child reacts to things learn their responses. All of those things are going to be beneficial to you when you're advocating for your child. So number three that I have is talking to the schools, the therapists, and the doctors. I know that there is a hospital. that They come together and they add all of the caregivers into one room and they have a meeting and everybody gets on the same page. And I know when you go into your IEP or your 504 plan that they try to do that but they don't include the doctors. That's just for school. And you end up like having a disconnect. But the more fluid conversation you have between the school, the therapist and the doctor yourself, you're the one, you're the one they're going to talk to. Your therapist is most likely not going to call your pediatrician. Your pediatrician is most likely not going to call the school and the school is most likely not going to call the therapist. So, You're going to have to be the intermediary for these people. You're going to have to be the one that talks to all these people. So, you're going to have to know the part from the therapist. You're going to have to know the part from the doctor. You're going to have to know the part from the school. So, for those of you who have your child in therapy, but you don't go in with your child. So, if you have a child with reactive attachment disorder, which I do, they do recommend you go in with your child. But if you have a child who doesn't and you're not there, you still need to get good communication with your child's therapist so that you can be on the same page. And it's, they're not going to want to because one of the reasons that you have a therapist is so you can talk privately. Well, if your therapist is worth their muster, they should be able to offer you information without offering you anything private that has been talked about. Now I have a problem with, you know, really young children you know, having secrets with anybody other than their parents, but that might also be because I have a child with reactive attachment disorder. And I'm like, nope, you better keep me in (laughs) because you have to have a home base. It just has to do with attachment. It can be very difficult if you if you take any of that out. But you want to have the information. And one thing I recommend is when your child gets a diagnosis, get a letter from the doctor get a letter from the psychiatrist, get a letter from these people who have diagnosed your child so that you can keep it in a file and you can take it to the IEP uh, meeting or the 504 meeting or just your school and say, you know, like, like I have a child who has a hearing impairment. Yes. Um, he wears hearing aids. So you can see that he has a hearing impairment, just like you could see if he had glasses, right? Like you can see that part. But so I don't need to go in and take a diagnosis of him having a hearing impairment. But if he couldn't see that he had the hearing impairment, I would take it in and say, hey, my child has a hearing impairment. Um, Is it okay if his teacher uses the microphone, which almost every class that we've ever had uses the microphone anyway, but, but I could, I could do that. I would want to do that. So taking that information in to the school, to the, um, there, what am I trying to say? Therapist to, to whoever, the 504, that's, I think what I was thinking to the group, to the school psychologist and saying, here is, you know, where I am telling you this is coming from, have that ahead of time, have that ready. And then you won't be scrambling when you finally do get your meeting. Because if you request a meeting in, I think every state, but I, I of course don't know every state. Um, if you request a meeting, they have to give you a meeting within a certain number of days. So I'm also gonna throw this in here too, where number four, um, learn your state's special needs law our state has a like a PTA kind of outline for the whole state regarding this and it will tell you how many days from when you request a meeting till when you have to have your meeting and how many days of evaluation you have to have and it's really long like it's a really long thing but it is worth putting the time in because if you do not put the time in then you will be putting the time in later or dealing with the consequences of not having that. You want to learn your state's special needs requirements. Um, you want to know how your child fits in. My child actually fits in, I think there are nine parameters in any one of those work. And my child fits two of those parameters. But they are kind of obscure because my child's, um, behaviors don't show up for quite a while. So she meets a lot of other criteria and then she hits a point where she can't maintain that kind of energy of like trying, trying to do all the right things. And then she just implodes. She just loses it. Right. So, So they tend to be like, Oh, no, that doesn't count. That doesn't count. And they tried so hard to dismiss me. And I was just like, you guys, like she fits this and she fits this. And she does it based on what the doctor said based on what the psychologist said based on what the therapist said, like, come on. But because the lady didn't see it in her video monitoring of the of the preschool class for an hour one day, she was like, No, your child's really, really well behaved and i was like i told you that in the paper i told you she would be well behaved until she can't be well behaved anymore so um learn your special education laws because there are so many things where i say nope actually your opinion only matters this much this therapist's opinion and this psychologist's opinion and this pediatrician's opinion actually holds a lot of weight as well. So I will, don't be afraid to go over someone's head. Maybe that should be number five. (laughs) Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to go over someone's head. I mean, always give them the respect of, of approaching them first, but don't be afraid. Number six, if you, oh, if you get the runaround, just keep calling or go in person. I know that it's a little intense, especially when you've, you know, met up against people who are kind of like a brick wall to you, where they don't believe you and they don't care. And they're so overwhelmed with like the moms that come in and they're like, my child has the sniffles, I need you to create a bed situation for him where he bunks with his best friend, like, you know, when those kind of things come in, and they they don't want to deal with you, and they don't care. Keep calling. If your child needs this, If your child needs us, keep calling. Now, if they have given you the evaluation and there's no more ways to turn, then you know what? You have to figure out a new plan. And that's okay. You're smart and you're capable and you care for your child. And you are capable of number six, you are capable of staying calm. Because some people are not going to understand, and you are capable of creating new avenues that people haven't even thought of yet in order to be there for your child. So it's our job to inform the school about things that are going to happen. And in my case, it's negative things for the school, right? Like my child has destroyed a classroom before. She was what, three, four years old, four years old? She was four. She destroys a classroom. Well, if I go in and I have done everything I can to tell this school that this kind of behavior is going to happen and it's going to be a problem, and they then don't do anything, then I have done my part. Now, but when you hit a point where your child needs additional assistance just to be successful in school, then I'm going to say keep trying you have learned about your issue. You've gone to the support groups. Do not hesitate to ask other parents, Hey, what have you done in this situation? What was beneficial for you? Because 90% of those people are not going to relate, but you're going to find somebody in this big wide world who's going to be like, you know what, this is what happened to us. And this is what we did. And then you're going to find out that might be a really good option for you as well. Because in a perfect world, everyone would understand what you were saying. But we, as you know, don't live in a perfect world. And you're going to find out for yourself that if you give these people grace for not knowing, because they're not going to know, they're not going to understand. They might understand some basics, like some ADHD, like they seem to really get ADHD and be there for that. They seem to kind of be aware of dyslexia, like there are some things they're going to get and there's some things they're not going to get. And it's got to be okay, because you don't have enough space to hold on to the fact that these people are stupid. You don't have enough strength. If you are really in it with your child, you are not going to be able to carry the fact that these people feel very incompetent to you. You have to give them a little leeway You have to know that they are not educated on absolutely everything. And if it were ideal, they would educate themselves. But you cannot control them. The most you can do is educate yourself. And if you have to go above that person eventually and say, I'm sorry, I've tried so hard to tell this person about this and they are refusing to acknowledge it, know that, no, you might need to do that. Know that they might see you as somebody you've got to keep your emotions in check as much as possible. I know you're desperate. I know you're at the end of your rope. They don't know. They don't get it. They care more about (laughs) any like all of the facts than they do about your feelings. Do not bring your feelings. Leave your feelings at home and bring the facts. Because if you take your feelings, they are just going to assume that you are the problem. And as unfair as that is, it's a reality that unfortunately gets passed on to a lot of people who are trying to advocate for their children. Because I, for me, I did not reach the point where I'm going to like go have a meeting with teachers until I am done. Desperate till I have tried every other avenue available to me. So when I went in, I was desperate. And when I call the school psychologist and I'm saying, hey, you need to know this stuff you don't understand. And she's like, I roll, you know, and she pat, pat, pat on the head kind of attitude. And I'm thinking, I know you've seen stuff. But even in our situation with our reactive attachment disorder, reactive attachment disorder doesn't show up in 18 month old kids very often. Having someone so young with so many things is actually fairly rare, even for reactive attachment disorder and disinhibited social engagement disorder. Like these are really, really rare circumstances to begin with. And then you add on the age, and it's even more rare. And I have been doing everything I can possibly think of. I have been proactive about this. I have been reading. I have been learning. I have been doing. I have been trying so hard to be there for my child. And I needed help. By the time I got to that point, I really needed help. And they wouldn't be there for me. But I do have to say, you know, I probably was incredibly desperate sounding. I, I think I turn them off on that own point. And while I do think it's fair that if you're de- like, you know, really desperate that it's okay that people still listen to you, I'm going to give you the advice from what I learned is they refuse to listen to me when I was emotional. And when I, <laughs> and I I just speak emotionally anyway. And so sometimes you're going to run up to people who just have a different personality than you. But... It's unfortunate, but it's worth it to keep going for your child because it will, it will just continue. And the last thing I actually am going to say in regards to this is keep checking in, give it a few weeks, see how the process is working and then check in teacher. How is this working? Check in therapist. How is this doing? Check in, you know, the medications one one you know when you have a medication for your child you can take notes and see how it's working with your kid so you can see if things are still working check in and keep checking in you know give it 6 weeks give it 8 weeks and then check in so i have open communication with my child's teacher I say, call me at any time. Here's my number. If you need something, call me anytime because I'm responsible for this child. But then I am able to know how best I can advocate for my child. Well, for all of you out there, I wish you all the best when it comes to figuring out how to navigate the advocating, navigate the advocating for your child. Because A lot of people really will be incompetent and it will be really hard for you to work all of the angles, but stick with it. When you get worn out, just, you know, take a little pause, take several deep breaths, jump into the the next day. Let yourself, you know, be overwhelmed for a minute and then say, you know what? I'm going to pick this up tomorrow and I'm going to pick it up and I'm going to run and I'm going to keep doing this. And I wish all of you the best. I hope everyone in your path ends up being a really good fit for your child. I know it won't happen, but I'm going to hope it for us all anyway. Thank you so much for joining us and have a great day.